0: All right, let's go to the book of James, of course, chapter number five is we where we are here it is, folks. We're moving past verse sixteen today. We have been in up to verse sixteen for thirty weeks, and uh now we can move beyond verse number sixteen and start on verse number seventeen really i'm pray, i I'm gonna teach you about one word in verse seventeen. Um, And that is the name Elijah. Alright? So that's where we're going to go. That's the first word that you see in verse number 17. And that's where we're going to spend some time this morning in verse 17. Even into verse number 18 a little bit too. But let's talk to the Lord first in prayer before we even begin it. Heavenly Father, again, we are very blessed to have your word To be able to carry multiple copies uh, with us here, or at home, or on our phones, on our apps. Uh, We have the availability um, in an incredible way. And yet, Lord, you know how we're we're negligent in making us, ourselves, available to it. But we do that right now. When we gather together in this room, we open up your word and and we submit ourselves to what you have to tell us. And we thank you for this time, for it's very important to us. It helps us to understand you better and what we are to do. So I pray today, again, that as your word goes forth, since it is your word, we seek it to accomplish what you desire for it to do. And we know part of that. And for us personally, a big part of that is that you're making us to be like your Son, our Savior. And we willingly submit to that today. We thank you for giving us this opportunity and pray that you're blessed, Lord. Put it deep into our hearts in permanent ink, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. As we're traveling along through verse or chapter number five of the book of James, the last three weeks, that we have dealt with this, and that was... Last week we had a Gideon speaker, but the three weeks prior to that, we especially focused on the word sin. And that was especially in verse number 15 and 16, that we walked through the different um, interpretations and and the challenges that come from such a word, sin, and its cure, and the application of that. We've dealt with all those things. And I'm not going to exactly... Uh, work through all of that, except for what is to continue in what we're going to do today, all right, in the next couple of weeks. Verse number 16 ended with a phrase that we keep coming back to. The effectual, or sometimes you might have fervent, prayer of a righteous man avails much, accomplishes much. Our topic of study is living faith. And you cannot separate that from prayer. You cannot. Prayer is essential to a person who's going to live by faith. Because prayer is trusting the one we talk to, right? We, we have to go to Him to receive anything, receive everything. It comes from Him. And so we've been talking about our living faith. And James is turning that corner in verse number 16 and into 17 and so on to make application to his audience, particularly. Um, He takes aim at the church. He talks to them about uh, things that are essential for them in the time of trials that they're going through. Now, it would seem easy, I would say, after all that we've studied from verse 1 through verse number 16... To think that when we get into verse 17 and 18 and start talking about Elijah, that we're actually moving off the context. That we're actually moving into something that's a little bit different, away from the context of the church. Because after all, he's an Old Testament prophet. Away from the context of sin, because it seems more refreshing to talk about rain. It's... We still have to reference prayer, because it is a reference to prayer in verse 17 and verse number 18. But not so much about forgiveness, or confessing, or sickness, or healing, or these kind of things. But we see the word rain. Verse 17, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. We could have used Elijah about two months ago, when we were having all those heavy rains. And if he had done a little bit of a verse 17 for us, he would have said, that was great. But now we're on this side of it all, and your ground is starting to crack. And there's a lot of dryness out there. And we're thinking, Elijah, maybe a little bit of verse 18 might help us now. Because there, in verse 18, he prayed again, And the sky poured forth rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Now, that would be easy for us to say, well, that's what we're going to gain from this. A little bit of what Elijah did in reference to rain and things. And that captivates our thinking. But I'm going to submit to you that that's not the main point. It's not the main point of what Elijah is doing. Matter of fact, he is being used as an illustration. And illustrations are being used to help us understand the context, right? Right? That's why the illustrations come. And this is what uh, James is about to do for us. The topic is prayer. Right? Yes, we've been on that for a little while, especially at the end of verse number 16, where it mentions the effective or the fervent prayer of a righteous man. We need an example so we can look at that and say, how does that work? This is a story of faith. I'll make it real simple for you. It's going to take me three weeks to explain all this, but I'll make it simple in one phrase. Elijah cannot make it rain. All right? Only one makes it rain. And that's God. Elijah prayed. And that's the big difference. So now you know what the theme is for the next couple of weeks. It's God who does it. And we have to trust Him. Elijah was a man of faith. We're going to talk about that as we go through, because he's the illustration in verse number 17 and 18. And I want to show you something very carefully, so you understand what we're looking at here. The context from verse 13 through verse number 20 does not change. What I'm going to do for you, just to show you that, and show you how direct James is about his context, I'm going to start reading to you in verse 13. And I'm going to skip verse 17 and 18 and go right into verse 19 and 20. And watch what happens. Is anyone, verse 13, is anyone among you suffering? Then he must pray. Is anyone cheerful? He is to sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? Then he must call for the elders of the church and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. Therefore, confess your sins to one another, pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. My brethren, verse 19, if any among you strays from the truth, and one turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way, will save his soul from death, and will cover a multitude of sins. You see, he doesn't let off the gas pedal, does he? As he's addressing sins, as he's addressing prayer, as he's addressing the righteous individuals who are supposed to be there to help their brothers and sisters in times of need, he doesn't stop. He brings up Elijah in the midst of it. And I know Elijah gets a lot of attention here, but the context is key. It's very important for, we, uh, for us to understand this, because James doesn't suddenly divert and start randomly throwing thoughts onto the page. It's all for a purpose. Remember his audience. They have trials. The first six verses told us about their trials. You guys probably could teach this part of the sermon by now. You've heard it for so many weeks. They have these trials. The particular one, this man's been cheated by his employee, employer. He was not paid the wages he was due. And not only that, but toward the end of verse number 6, it was even worse than that. He was being persecuted because he was a believer. And his employer was persecuting him for his faith. Those are pretty tough days. How do you respond to that? How, how do you respond to such things? Very difficult thing. Can you imagine that's being brought up in the church one Sunday morning? A man stands up and says, uh, James, folks, I've got a problem. My employer's not paying me. matter of fact, he's persecuting me because I'm a believer. And I have nothing. I've got a family to feed. I've got all these things. What do I do? What do I do? James stands up and he says this. Be patient. And everyone said, Oh, not again. Be patient, yes. Strengthen your heart. Do not complain. Verse seven through nine. He said, But James, what's that got to do with that? This poor guy. What's this? It's a matter of trusting the Lord. All the way through, he kept bringing up the Lord is coming. The Lord is coming. Oh, don't worry about it. The Lord is here. He keeps weaving that into the conversation. So we know that. And you know this too. Although it is hard. When trials come our way, patience is tough. Having a strong heart is hard. It's hard to do. Not complaining. Woo. That's why these are commands. Because they're not easy to do. They are not our first response. I wish they were. But generally they're not. They're not generally our desire. They're not easy to maintain, especially if the trial goes on and on and on and patience gets thinner and thinner and thinner. We said this is very tough. We need the reminders. We need the commands and that's what they are. Be patient. Be patient. That's what James told him to do. Because it was the right thing to do. It was a matter of faith. Faith. Do you trust your Lord? Do you trust Him? Boy, is that going to be a test, isn't it? Do you trust Him? That's what this whole chapter has been about. The examination of living faith. That's what it looks like. So, James has been helpful to us in several occasions. He says... Okay, okay, you guys, you're trying to understand what does it mean to be patient in the midst of a trial? Let me give you Old Testament examples. And he did that on several occasions, didn't he? Verse number 10. He said this. As an example, brethren, of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Who, by the way... What would you call the occupation of a man called Elijah? He's a prophet. He's going to be our example. All right? We're going to see that. But he also named somebody else by name in verse number eleven. We count those as blessed who endured. You have heard of the endurance of Job, and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings. That the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. I bring you back to verse 11 because this is very, very important. We're going to look at prophets. We're going to look at Job. We're going to look at Old Testament examples like this all the way, especially in this next couple of weeks with Elijah. But we're looking at these examples, and it's often we're going to say, oh, let's see them. Let's, let's see what they did and all this stuff. But there is one constant all the way through, and that is the Lord. Every single example you bring up of all those different prophets, of all those different people, it is the Lord who is compassionate. It is the Lord who is full of mercy. And He still is today. That has not changed. The faith that we have is not in Elijah. It's in the Lord. The faith that we have is very important that we have that set up. Because that's the Lord's character that we trust. In other words, you've got to know Him to trust Him. Do you know Him? I mean, you say, of course, I'm a believer. Do you know Him? Do you know His character? That comes into play when you are going through the tough times. He never backs down on His compassion towards you. Never diminishes His mercy towards you. He is that kind of a God amazing, amazing, so I underscore that, if you have the uh, desire if some people, you know, are are those who do underlining in their Bibles and stuff like that, I'd say the last phrase of verse number 11 is a good one, that is one you need to keep in your attention, the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful, so listen carefully to this, we're not going off topic, When we start into verse 13, 14, 15, all the way through verse number 17. We're talking about living faith. Living faith. Is anyone among you suffering? Then he must pray. I asked you this last time. To whom? To the Lord. Alright, that's an issue of faith. He's suffering, right? Is anyone cheerful? He is to sing praises. Who do you think those praises go to? The Lord, yes. Verse number 14. Is anyone among you sick? he must call for the elders of the church? And they are to pray over him. Who do they pray to? The Lord. And they anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. You see the emphasis all the way through? And the prayer offered in faith. Faith in whom? The Lord will restore that one. Because it's only the Lord who can answer that prayer. That's it. He is the answer to prayer. We pray, He answers. You know, the hardest part of all of this prayer thing is letting Him give the answer. That takes faith. We want to suggest answers, but do we trust Him with His answer? I will guarantee this to you. Every time the Lord answers prayer, and He does, It's always the right thing. It's always the right thing. Because he never does the wrong, does he? It's always the best thing. Do you believe that? It's always what will bring him glory. And don't you want that? That's trusting him with the answer. Because he is the only one who can restore. He is the only one who can answer. He is the only one who can forgive. The end of verse 15 says, And the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, they will be forgiving him. That's what the Lord does. That is living faith. Not trusting in myself, for I often fail. Not trusting in rituals, they won't mean a thing. Not trusting in programs or procedures. Not trusting in oils. I know everybody tends to lean toward that verse 14 and say, well, there's the secret. No, the oils won't do anything but get you slimy. All right, It's just a reminder you've been slimed. Alright? That's all that works for you. Well, it's a reminder that somebody's been praying for you. Alright? There's more to it than that. I'm just generalizing a bit. It's not trusting in sermons. It's not trusting in prayers. It's not trusting in any other one than our Lord. That's living faith. Constantly trusting Him because He's constantly faithful to us. That's our Lord Jesus Christ. It's important carrying that information into this context, verse 16, 17, 18, 19, and 20. Look at it with me one more time because it gets real personal. Therefore, confess your sins to one another. Verse 16. Pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Elijah was a man like, with a nature like ours. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. Then he prayed again and the sky poured forth rain and the earth produced its fruit. My brethren... If any among you strays from the truth and one turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Isn't that an intriguing verse? I think, wow, what is he saying? He's addressing believers. One more time I'll say it. He's talking to believers. He's addressing believers. He is referencing in all this context, that a believer is capable of sin. Are you surprised by that? I don't think we are. I've known people who thought, well, if I get really, really uh, good in this thing that God has done, I'm going to be without sin. They prayed around as if they're sinless. There are people out there who think that. Uh, It's amazing when you run into people like this. I once was at at the county fair and I ran into the Holy Spirit. I was very surprised when that guy walked up to me and said, "I'm I'm the Holy Spirit," and I was surprised. That's not at all what my planograph looked like. I said, "That can't be right." But there are some people who get this idea. Well, you know, I can get on. I could. I could become sinless in this. Well, why is the Scripture addressing believers who sin? It's because we know. That's, unfortunately, we know that, don't we? Believers are capable of sinning. And unfortunately, too often. Anytime we respond without faith, we have sinned. Did you know that? I'm going to make you real uncomfortable for a minute, Okay? What do you guys to say at the doctor's office? This will be hurt for a second. <laughs> Anytime you don't do the commands, you have sinned. When he says, be patient and you're not. Ouch. When he says, be patient twice and you're not. There it is. Anytime you don't strengthen your heart. We're disobeying the Word of God, aren't we? Sometimes it's unintentional. Sometimes it's habitual. Sometimes it shows our immaturity. Sometimes it's our attitude. Sometimes it's our actions. Sometimes it's our words. But when we do complain, have we broken God's command? Okay. So is it possible for a believer to sin? Okay, made my point. There it is. We're talking about James' audience, not us. Right? Let's go back and put it in a comfortable world. James is talking to them and telling them, Brother, if one of you sins, whoo, they're capable of that. We're capable of sinning against our brothers and sisters in Christ, too. We're, We're capable of taking those same attitudes and actions and words and aiming them at a brother or sister in Christ. And unfortunately, that's addressed in here about offending one another, praying for one another, confessing to one another. We have an obligation, and we know it. We have an obligation to be growing in the Lord, right? We are to be growing in the Lord. That, by the way, is a command too. If you're not, guess what you're doing? Sinning. If we're not growing in the Lord, we're called to do that. We have an obligation to one another... In this growing in the Lord thing. Did you know that? You're also responsible for your brother or sister in Christ and their growth in the Lord? I've said this before to people who come into me and they they want to talk about marriage and things like that. And I'll tell them, you know, the best gift you can ever give to your spouse is a godly spouse. Think about that. Do you know that the best thing you can give to this church is a mature member of this church? So often people seek out churches to see what they have to offer them. How refreshing it is when people come to the church to give what they can to benefit others. Because we're called to that. Ephesians 4, if you need the passage, it proves it. We are called to serve one another in the growing process, because there is one goal for you, and you, and you, and you, and everybody even in the balcony. There is one goal for us in Christ Jesus, and that is to be like Him. And our job is to see that all of us mature to that point. Ephesians chapter 4. That's what we're here for. We're here to see each other mature, to grow into the stature of Christ. We're given gifts so we can contribute to one another's personal growth. But sometimes, growth comes after (laughs) disappointment. We have failures. Yes, we have sin. Yes, we have incomplete things. We have unhealthy things. We have contradictory things. And they're brought into the body of Christ. And sin robs us of unity. And sin will rob us of spiritual advancement. And sin will rob us of effective ministry. And sin can rob us of a beautiful testimony. And authentic worship. And fruit bearing. And peace. And boy, it doesn't ever leave us alone. It just torments us with its effects over and over and over again, doesn't it? At what time has sin ever been good? It's a dangerous thing. but. James has to address that with this group. Just confess your sins to one another. Because why? So that we'd have some big cry parties so everybody could sit around and say, boy, look at my scars. No. It's because we have a mutual responsibility to see each other mature. That's part of the process. It's growing together for you to help one another. And I know sometimes we're going to this context and talk about physical illnesses. And I'm not going to discredit that at all I just think that there's a greater thing being referenced here and that is our spiritual well-being our spiritual growth how it relates to one another James is calling us to do that therefore verse 16 confess your sins to one another pray for one another so that you that's in the plural not a singular you may be healed So there's a point. The issue of faith, folks, is not simply about you and your God. In the church, it's about you and the church and your God. Because we're all in this together. We're all in this together. We're growing together. That's what faith is meant to look like. It's not meant to be lived out in isolation. So you're saying, okay, pastor, you're all over the place. What's that got to do with Elijah? Boy, aren't you eager now. That's next week. Oh, isn't that terrible? Yes, that's next week. A man who thought isolation was where he was. Oh, we've got some wonderful lessons from Mr. Elijah. We're going to enjoy these too. But I want to start with this. I've got time. Elijah, verse number 17, was a man with a nature like ours. That is not accidentally written. You might have in the King James, Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are. You say, how does that work? Well, I find it interesting. You know I always like to look up the old translations too. I went back to the 1500s to see, what did William Tyndale say in this one? Elias was a man mortal even as we are. So, ooh, that's an intriguing word. If you pull out the Amplified, which is always fun, Elijah was a human being with a nature such as we have with feelings, affections, and a constitution like ours. You are starting to get the feel? If I pulled out the Greek, it would say, same passions. Same passions. It's a compound word. Same in the word, the word for same, it's homo, and then, Pasto is a Greek word for the experience of suffering, the experience of feelings, the experience of emotions, and all of it generally in the arena of pain. Experienced pain. Experienced pain. In James chapter 5, You probably have seen this. There is a lot of emotion in this chapter. There is a lot of suffering in this chapter. There is a lot of pain woven into this context. What is the experience of being cheated by an employer? What is the experience of being persecuted for your faith? What emotions and pains cause the situation to call for a command, be patient, be patient, strengthen your hearts and don't complain. What emotions are behind that, that cause for that? What can lead to sickness? Verse number 14, that word is to be robbed of your strength, to be weak. In verse number 15, when he talks about the sick there, he's talking about somebody who's been absolutely worn out. He has toiled and toiled. And you might even understand that concept. Because what this is probably speaking of is he is under such intense persecution, such intense suffering, and trying to figure all this out. He's weak as he can be, and emotionally he is wiped out. Ever been there? probably half that's a tough road how are you thinking usually at that point you're completely tired mentally as well as physically and you think pretty clearly don't you you respond perfectly right I'm saying that on purpose because you know what's the potential of us doing something wrong is pretty high Potential of saying something we shouldn't say. It's there. Doing something you wouldn't do. The potential for sin. What's this say? Elijah had the same passions. He had the same pains. He had the same emotions. He had the same suffering. I'm going to show that to you in the course of of weeks to come. What Elijah went through. you're going to walk around in his sandals for a few times and say, Wow, he was a lot like us. But wasn't he a man of faith? Okay, you say yes. Wasn't he a hero? Isn't he in our Sunday school material? Yeah, we talk about him. But why is he not in Hebrews chapter 11? Wait a minute, let's go back there. Let's make sure... Hebrews chapter 11. Let's scan through it quickly. Um, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6. I'm going through chapter 11 of Hebrews. I'm looking for the name Elijah. Do you see it anywhere in there? You go all the way up to verse 40. Do you see Elijah's name? I don't. You would say that's probably safe. If the pastor says it's not there, it's probably not there. Elijah's name is not in this chapter. Verse 32, though. What more shall I say? For time will fail me if I tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and... The prophets! We found one. We could put him in this category. Verse 33. Who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouth of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, from weakness were made strong, became mighty in war, put armies to flight, women received back their dead by the resurrection, others were tortured, and accepting, without accepting, or, did I say that right? not accepting their release, so that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others experienced mockings and scourging, yes, also chains and imprisonments. And they were stoned, and they were sawn in two, and they were tempted, and they were put to death with the sword, and they went about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, men of whom the world was not worthy. They're wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. You know what you just read? Basically the life of Elijah. All these having gained approval through their faith. Their faith. If you add up the items on their resume right here, the world will say, that's not a winning combination. And God says the world's not worthy of people like that. They gain my approval by faith. We say, Elijah, he's a man of faith. Yes, he is a man of faith. And go back to verse 32 one more time. Let's talk about Gideon and his faith. You know his story? Brave man. No. No. No, we're talking about Gideon some other time. Barak. Oh, Barak was a great man of faith, wasn't he? He wouldn't go into battle unless Deborah went with him. That's another story. You say, okay, well, what about Samson? You ever read his story? How about about if we put in Jephthah? Most people say, I have no idea who Jephthah was. You might not want to know who Jephthah was. You read his story, you say, you've got to be kidding me. Especially the last thing. The question is, did he or didn't he? I think he did. But that's another story. You say, "Uh uh-oh, what's that all about? You've got to read that one. David. David was perfect his whole life, wasn't he? Oops. Samuel? Samuel? Samuel, his children were rotten to the core. You read his story. Samuel was a guy. You would like Samuel. You wouldn't like his sons. Nobody did. We talk about these people. We talk about men like Elijah. We say, these guys are our heroes of faith. These are the ones that stand up and say, this is what living faith looks like. But we don't look at their lives carefully. We don't go back and say, "How, how did they live? Were they ever challenged? Yes. Did they struggle? Yes. Were they weak? Yes. We say, well, if you're weak, you don't qualify. <laughs> if you have emotions and, and they get out a bit out of a place, um, then you're you're nullified from every hope of being counted as a faithful person, right? If you're sick, if you're emotionally, even physically sick, uh, if you've ever taken a molehill and turned it into a mountain, you don't qualify to be a person of faith. Is that true? For some reason, our whole whole conception of who is a man or a woman of faith is based on flannel graphs and not based on their biographies. Because faith is not in who they were. It's faith in who God is. And these stories that we're going to look at, especially of Elijah, you're going to see the dents and the dings of a man who is considered faithful. You're going to see it evaluated. You're going to say, well, God couldn't be pleased with that. You're going to see lack of patience. You're going to see lack of strength of heart. You're going to see complaining. Yes, you're going to see every one of the commandments broken that we've been talking about. And yet, why is he an example? Because he's like you. And he's like me. And believe it or not, folks, (laughs) he's the guy that God says, look at him if you want an illustration of a man who prayed. It's Elijah. I want to read to you something that really caught my attention, written way, way long time ago. I know, Matthew Henry. Some of you have Matthew Henry commentaries in your home. You say, I don't use them too often. Because it's hard to read all those words. But this is what he said, and listen to this carefully. Extraordinary afflictions are not always the punishment of extraordinary sins, but sometimes the trial of extraordinary graces Sanctified afflictions are spiritual promotions. Think of that for a minute. Can God be using these things to make us even greater people of faith? I'm not going to try to sugarcoat anything here. Passions are created by God. They need to be under His authority. (laughs) And controlled by Him. Because we know what we could do with our passions. But they are created by God. They should be used for His glory and the good of others. That's how they should be used. We know that it all, all has to work. And, and everything has to be done in this one department. By faith. Because without faith, it is impossible to please Him. And it doesn't matter what that thing is you're trying to do. You must do it by faith. You must do it by faith. Faith is trusting the Lord, regardless of the circumstances, and especially when passions want to rule them. Trusting the Lord. I think we're going to have a good study on Elijah. I set this up for you today on purpose, that you may see what James has just said. When he's talking about Elijah, he is not pulling just a random thought out of the sky, and just thought of him as suddenly. He says, To illustrate a person who lives by faith and prays, we've got to bring this man into your story. So you see it and understand. Because he's a man like you. He's a man like you. It's going to be a fascinating study. It'll be good for us. Living faith when things go wrong. This writer of the song said, When peace like a river attendeth my way when sorrows like sea billows roll whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say what it is well with my soul Though Satan should buffet those trials should come let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate. And has shed his own blood for my soul. That brings us back to that chorus, doesn't it? It is well. It is well with my soul. Let's take our eyes off ourselves. Put it on the one that we're supposed to trust. Learn to walk by faith. We're going to learn this as we go. We've been working on it for a while. But let's talk to the Lord who can do this work in our heart. All right, join me in prayer, Heavenly Father. Sometimes when we look at these things, we think that we're so far away from the ideal, we're so far away from the uh, example we should set for other people. We feel like we're the ones who need the help. We're the ones who show lack of patience, and we don't have a very strong heart, and we certainly do complain and. And you've been telling us about that week after week after week in this passage. But Lord, you know us. And you know that we're weak. You know that we're helpless. Without your help. Without your strength. Because it's not what we can do. It's what you can do. And Paul wrote, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. And that's really what it comes down to here. When it comes to living faith, it must be in you. Because nothing else counts for having faith in it. Nothing else lasts. Nothing else is as profitable. Nothing else will have eternal results. But trusting in you. Trusting in you. And we're going to learn that from Elijah. But you've been teaching us that all the way along. And I'm so glad that you're faithful in this. And these lessons that we're trying to learn. We want to be counted as faithful people. We want to mature in our faith so we can help those who struggle. And we need to do that, Lord. And so may this be our passion. If we are to exhibit passion now, may it be a passion to trust our Lord always, regardless of the circumstances, to trust our Lord to live out our faith. Thank you, Lord, for helping us today. And may this be impressed upon our hearts now. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.